right, good morning, church. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be uh, today. Um, and real, real fast, next Sunday is ne- November 20th, right? Is that right? I'm sorry. Okay, next Sunday is November the 20th. At 2 o'clock right here in this room, we're going to have the Biblical Counseling 101. I talked to you a little bit about that last week. We want to prepare ourselves as a church for the ever-increasing anxiety, depression, mental illness. It's happening in our community. It keeps going up. And uh, one way we can prepare ourselves, all of us together as one body, to help people in our lives that we know can be struggling with this. We can be prepared to be a, a haven of hope and healing for the hurting in our world. And all of us being a part of the process of helping people who are struggling in our community. Because honestly, we as a church, we have the answers. We have truth. We have the way for people to be healed and, uh, from these hurts. And we want to be able to provide that. But one thing we're trying to do is to have everyone, every one of our members trained in Biblical Counseling 101. And that's just the basics of helping you know your part. And I know someone in my life, I know someone I've run into that struggles with anxiety, depression, mental illness of some sort. And it helps me know what are the basics, how do I help them, who do I take them to, how do I minister to them, how do I recognize it in their life, how do I approach them. All the, the basics of 101 of knowing your role in helping people who are hurting in our community and how we all as a body come together to help people. 101 next Sunday right here in this room at 2 o'clock. If, um, we're going to record it. But I need a studio audience, so please come and get your 101 in as a member. We'll, we'll check your box on, your, on the database. You will be uh, satisfying that requirement. And if you come to the next Sunday at 2 o'clock, take the class. We'll record it. For those of you who couldn't make it, we're going to make it a digital training course. And you can do it on your own time. You can do it digital. But it's one way for us to fulfill the goal of every member being trained in 101, Biblical Counseling 101. So please come and, and join us in that, 2 o'clock next next Sunday. Uh, church, I am so incredibly proud uh, to be a part of Bannockburn and South Austin specifically today. Your generosity is amazing. I mean, I just, I'm the one that I get the privilege to see all of your generosity in very tangible ways and conversations that we have. And it just warms my heart. And three million is an incredible start to the things that I feel like the Lord is leading us to do to meet the challenges on this campus. And now it's time for our our finance team, the revitalization team, to come together with a plan. Um, And our hope is that after three years, we will have paid cash for this entire project. We would have acquired no debt in the whole process. I believe we can actually accomplish that. we got some work to do with finance team and revitalization team of coming together and putting that project together. But I am hopeful it's going to be a fantastic experience. God's blessing is going to pour out. I thank all of you who are involved in that and your generosity. And so today also begins the giving campaign. The more that you can do, if it's all the same to you, I'm not trying. however you structure your giving is great. But if if all the same to you, the earlier you give it, the better. Because we've got about $250,000 in expenses that we have to pay to prepare ourselves just for groundbreaking. So anything that you can give, many of you have already started to give, and we are grateful for that. But if you you just wanted you to know that the earlier you give, the better to help us not have to pull uh, from a loan or something like that. We can pay cash as long as we can. That would be great. We will do that. So if you could help us with that, we would really be uh, grateful for that. Okay? But I'm just thankful to God. To be a part of this with you, I just can't wait to see what he does through us. Amen? All right. Colossians 3, our final um, week in our series on work and rest. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 22, and I'm going to read down to chapter 4, verse 1. Okay? 3.22 to 4.1. Paul writing, the church in Colossae, says this. 
Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we just, uh, we take this time in our lives on this day and we separate ourselves from the common things and we offer you this time to meet with you, to come together as your people and to turn our focus vertical, to be still, quiet with our Bibles in our laps, think about what you're saying, and Lord, we pray that you would just take it by your spirit, personalize it to each one of us in this room, fill our hearts with joy and power so that we can walk out of this place today being filled with your peace and your joy, and Lord, that it would overflow in our lives this week. All for your glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're in our final week of asking the question, how, if we are a gospel-centered people, living gospel-centered lives, how does the gospel shape the work that I do starting on Monday morning? Well, for most of us, Monday morning. Uh, How do we get into that practical area? How does the gospel shape that, or does it have anything to do with it at all, and it has everything to do with it? That's what we've been talking about in this series. And so we started off in week one, we talked about the theological foundation of work and the idea of work from the Bible. We went to the Adamic mandate in Genesis chapter one, work is good, work is how we're made, we're made to work, it's part of our DNA. And then week two, we talked about this whole balance that God gives us but of work and rest and how we don't make work an idol um, and, and worship it, but we also don't see it as the curse and avoid it. There is a good purpose for work for us. And we saw that last week. And today in our passage, Paul is assuming all of that. Everything we've already talked in the, about in the, the series, Paul is on that foundation and he's taking it to another level and even more practical level. And when I show up to my job, when I go to work, how do I do that? What should characterize the way that I work? And in many ways, this is a very easy text to preach, but I've got to make it complicated because I need to show you all I've done some work here. But it really preaches itself. I mean, you really read it and you get the sense, you know exactly what he's saying, right? Y'all get it? So we can go to lunch. I'm just kidding. I got to work here, y'all, so let's go. Um, I want to point out three things that Paul mentions here, okay? First, the value of our work. Secondly, the principles of good work. And thirdly, the proper motivation for work. Let's jump into the first one, the value of our work. The text is written specifically to a specific worker called a bond servant um, in Colossians. And the point of this, bond servants, is it doesn't matter what the job is. Every single job, career, vocation, every individual piece of work that you do matters to God. And it should matter to you 
it is incredibly valuable. Whatever to you is the least significant job on the planet is very important to God. Whatever you think is the most insignificant is incredibly significant to God. And it should be important to you. Now, some of you might think your job is the least significant <laughs> and you treat it like that. Well, you shouldn't. You should treat it as very, very important. Years ago, I was in college. I had a summer job. My dad said, you can come home, but you're going to work. And a lot of times I'd work for him, and then I decided, I don't want to work for him. If you've ever worked for your dad, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's like he just wanted to make me miserable, so I would go back to college, all right, and not get excited about the money. Uh, so uh, I end up going down to a labor force downtown. It's a job where a lot of people just show up, and then you just... See if anybody shows up and wants to hire people, needs help that day, and you get different odd jobs all the time. So I go down there, and I just sign up. I'm there at 6.30, ready to go to work. Uh, got, I got uh, hired by a person, and I go over there. I realize I'm in a shipyard. In, I'm in Pensacola, Florida, so it's by the bay. And I'm in a shipyard, and they've got this giant Coast Guard boat pulled up on land and all this stuff structure on it and that kind of thing. Apparently, they're working on this boat. Well, what they do is they put me in a head-to-toe paper towel suit. And it's 104 degrees in Florida at this time of the summer. It is hot. The ship has no power to it. And you're inside the ship. So they got some fans blowing, but that's about it. There's no AC, nothing like that. So they take me, give me the goggles, got a gas mask, all of that, head to toe, covered in this, looks like I'm going into some type of chemical. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm being protected from something. And they don't tell me any of this. They just put all this on. And so I walk up there. They take me down into the deep part of this ship. And they show me this little hole, just enough for you to be able to crawl down in it. And inside the hole is a little tank. Uh, I don't know how many gallons it would be, but you, I barely fit in there. And I had to lay sideways. Uh, they wanted me to get in there. And there was all this rust on the inside of uh, this particular tank. Well, I get in there, and they gave me this nail gun. And it's a gun, it has some nails sticking out of it that, that vibrated really fast. And so I had to get in there and chisel all that rust off the inside of that tank. And now you can say already, that's the worst job anyone could ever possibly have. I am soaking wet with sweat. I get a 15-minute break at 9.30, a 15-minute break in the afternoon, and I get 30 minutes for lunch. All day. Go! Right? And so I go, and I'm laying in this hole all day. Have you ever felt like you're in a coffin? And you can't do it for like 20 minutes. You're like, great, i got to get out of here. Well, I was there all day, all day. So I finish, I work all day. I got brown all over me. I'm soaking wet because I'm sweaty. And I, I, I get every piece of rust out of the inside of that tank that day. I went at it. I said, no, nah, no challenge. We're going to do this. I don't know where that came from. It just did. And I worked hard. And I got that whole thing cleaned out for that day. I get out. And I find out actually what I was doing is cleaning out the sewer tank for this, for this ship. And they, because they wanted to repaint the inside of it, they had to clean all the inside of it out. So what do they do? They go get the guy down there. Now, guys, it doesn't get any lower than that. I got my $32 cash. And I never went back. So don't think I'm honorable or anything. I'm not doing that again, right? That's a terrible, terrible job. But even that is so important to God. It's so important. And it's so important that God says, don't just jump in that hole. Do it to the best of your ability. I mean, think about that. 
Your job is important. And Paul is addressing bond servants here. Now let me, let me clarify some things about, about bond servants. This is a person who most of the time, unless they were captured in war and brought in as a bond servant, most of the time this was a way that I eliminate debt. There was no bankruptcy in the day, right? Praise God for bankruptcy and modern government civilization and all that. Uh, because in the day you don't pay off debts and most of the time people don't just forget about it. You know, uh, you're going to pay it somehow. The only way that you had to pay it was you, you basically submit yourself to be a servant. And they owned you as a right. They owned you. And then you paid off over time that debt. And when you finished paying that debt, you all agreed upon the time frame and all that sort of thing. And then you were...
Put on the display of God. Am I back on? Okay. I can stop yelling now. I kind of like yelling though. That felt good. I'm even breaking a sweat. <laughs> Secondly, the principles of good work. Paul mentions some here of good work ethic for a Christian. The first one, loyalty. He says, obey in everything your earthly masters. A bondservant might be motivated to do as little as possible just to satisfy the demand. Whatever you make me do, I'll do it. They even may want to, do, uh, to rebel against the agreement and just go get their own freedom in the middle of it and bail on the whole bit. And that was not something that if you, if you were a Christian and you were in the bondservant type deal, get your freedom if you could. Other than that, do not rebel against it. Serve that master well. Um, and so this was the teaching of the New Testament. And so be loyal in your work to your overseers. Be loyal to your boss. Be loyal to your company. And so loyalty is esteemed here. Obey them in everything. And then honesty. Honesty. Now he, talks, he says not a people pleaser. He says not eye service. And you guys know what that means. That means in front of the boss you do a good job and you're pretending, right? And then when he's not looking you cut corners, you do shoddy work. You, you're lazy, you don't give your best effort, you just get it done or whatever, or maybe you don't even get it done. But you're just doing it for the, for, the, for the visual of looking like something that you're actually not. And Paul says, no, consistency from the heart all the way out. Everything you do, do it with all your heart. So do it in an honest way. Do it fully. And he says, heartily. And that just means just work with your whole heart. Put your whole self into your work. Do it as, as excellent as you possibly can. Have good work ethic. Work hard. Work, work smart. If your boss thinks that you're supposed to show up 15 minutes before your talk clock actually starts, then show up 15 minutes before the clock actually starts. And, and give, it, give it your whole heart. And if you can increase your capacity and your competency, do so. Give your work your whole heart. Christians should be, according to Paul, the greatest workforce the world has ever seen. Because we have the greatest motivation that anyone has ever had. We can do things that a person, that it, it even shows it's supernatural. This is not normal for a person to do this kind of work in that type of context. We should have the power to be able to do that, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. But then fairly... Paul doesn't stop with just Christian workers or just with the bond servant. He actually talks about masters, talk about bosses, talk about management, company owners here. And, he's, and, he, and he says, be fair and just with those who report to you. Basic principle here is if you oversee people that report to you, here's what you need to ask yourself every single day. If I were a person that reported to me, what kind of boss would I want? Always let that guide you. I know it's a complex, it depends on what you do and where you are. I know it gets complex, but at least let that guide you. If I reported to me, what kind of boss would I want? Be fair, be just, be good to them. That's what Paul is saying. Now, the, we have the 
in this civilization and in America in particular, you have a lot of labor laws that govern now that they didn't have then. You couldn't just you can't just be cruel to people now. That's just, and that's awesome, and we celebrate uh, we celebrate that. Uh, but in the day, you could you could mistreat people all the time. And 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 he was saying that even though you have the ability, don't be good, just, and fair. And if you run a company, you've got to keep the good of the company above the individual. Yes, you've got to manage a lot of tensions and things like that. But as far as you can. Be just and fair to those who report to you. Then you have the proper motivation for work. And this is really the key here. Because the fact is that for a person to work with all their heart, honestly, fairly, complete loyalty, over the long haul, if you don't have the proper motivation, you can't do this. You will run out of gas. You, you, you'll get into a situation where you feel like your boss is mistreating you or you didn't get the promotion and, and whatever, whatever, and, and you're not going to be able to give all of your heart every day for the long haul without some type of powerful motivation on the inside to assist you to do that. The motivation is the key. Three things I want to unfold there. The first thing you need, work for the right boss, Paul says. You can't work for your boss alone, a flawed human being, and keep this kind of motivation. That I'm going to please this boss and this guy, and my seeking to please him is going to last. And it's going to motivate me to do excellent work. Wrong. That's going to run out of gas. Unless you have something higher motivating you. Paul says we should work with excellence even if our bosses are terrible. You remember what Jesus said? If he forces you to go one mile, what do we do? You go two. What does that do? That makes him go, oh, wait a minute, that's not normal. Why aren't you normal? Guess what? There's your opportunity. I'm motivated by something higher than your demand. I'm motivated by something higher than just pleasing you. I'm motivated by something great. Great. And it shapes how I chisel the rust out of this sewer tank. And it ain't rust. And I do it well. Because I'm motivated by something higher. You work for the right boss. Paul says it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now get down to the brass tacks on this, y'all. I mean, seriously, watch yourself walk into that office. Watch yourself get into that truck and get out on that job site. Watch yourself getting into that place and say, who is my boss here? And if you really believe that you are about to go to work for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Jesus himself, who lived the life you should have lived, died the death you should have died, rose on your behalf and promised you eternity, saved your soul, saved you from your sins. He is your Lord and he has given you eternity. And you are going to work and I'm going to do everything I do for him. And he is going to see it all. That's a motivator. How do you work? How do you work? Eric Little, that great runner, said, he has made me to run. His sister was saying, you need to go to China and be a missionary. And he says, I know I need to. And he says, but also he's made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Well, apply that to your work tomorrow morning. When you X, I feel his pleasure. If you do that every day, you'll never work a day in your life. Because it's all about him. Then he says, work for the right reward. Reward. 
The reward we're seeking will give us motivation to work with excellence over the long haul. And you know this, right? All right, so imagine two people. I've hired two people to put widgets on wadgets. The tedious, tedious, brain-melting work of widget on a wadget and a widget on a wadget all day, every single day. One of them you told them after a year we're going to pay you $50,000. The other one you told after a year you're going to give them $5 million. Okay? They get to work. What do you think happens? About a week in, $50,000 starts thinking of a whole lot of other things he can be doing. Probably doesn't make it. But what about five million man? Whistles while he works, right? Why? The reward empowers him to endure. You got to get your eyes on the right reward for the work that you're doing. What is our reward? Why do we work? The reward of our Lord. When you work for the reward of Jesus Christ, who will give you your inheritance, it says. Inheritance. You are looking through the work that you're doing to the great reward that is coming. And let me even say this. You set your sight on that great reward, but do you know that if you work this way, it is highly likely that you will even be rewarded in this life. The reward will come to you even in this life. I heard the story of a, 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 a train crew that was working on a railroad in the 1950s. And one day the crew was out there working on it and it was hot and they were miserable and sweaty. And uh, a train car came up and it was the president of the company who had come out onto the railroad to kind of see how the work was going. And the train stops, all the crew knew this is the president. And the, the window drops and, he, he, and a voice comes from the train from the president and says, uh, you know, calls out the, the crew chief's name. Dave, whatever, he says, is that you? And they interacted. And the whole crew's watching this. And the crew chief walks over to the train. The, the president of the company steps down off the train. They embrace and hug and smile. And it looks like they were laughing and telling stories. And they were just getting along great, like they knew each other. Uh, happened for a little while. And then the president gets back on the train, and he, and he pulls away. And, of course, everyone on the crew immediately said, how in the, came around him and said, how in the world do you know the president of our company? And he said, actually, uh, it's pretty simple. He and I were friends growing up, and both of us 20 years ago came to work for uh, the railroad at the same time. He said, well, the one difference is, you know, I came to work for a paycheck. He went to work for the railroad. What reward are you seeking? What reward you are seeking will determine the way you work. I know it's not a foolproof statement, but I'm telling you, if your reward is great and the motivation to work hard and work with excellence and do good at everything you do will be great as well. And I can even tell you it probably will pay off in this life too. Because you know what? If you're a boss out there, think about it. What kind of worker do you want? What kind of worker do you want? You own a company out there. What kind of workers are you looking for? You want workers that are just in it for a paycheck? Or you really want workers who are really in it for the company? They really want to make the company successful. They want you to be successful. They want to do good work for you. 
Which person are you going to hire? Which one are you going to keep? Which one are you going to promote? Lastly, work with the right perspective. Work with the right perspective. See, if you see through the job you do to the great thing, it will motivate you to do great work. I heard a story of a man who lived in London many years ago. And one day he was walking down the street. And he passed uh, a, like, a, like a construction project, you know. There was a lot of stone out there, and men were working on the stone. And he could see some things had been cleared out. But he was wondering, like, what, what were they building? What were they working on? You know, that kind of thing, curiosity. So he just worked over to one of the crews was working on the stone. And he worked over there, and one of the guys was sweaty, and he looked irritable. Uh, and he, he basically just asked him, so what are you guys doing? And the guy looked up and said, I'm hewing stone. What does it look like I'm doing? Right, kind of irritated. So he was like, oh, all right. Um, but then he went over to the second person, and they looked up, and he said, what are you working on? And he said um, to him with a little smile on his face, he says, I'm, I'm working on 100 pounds a week. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> so then he goes, nice, but I still don't know what this project is. So he walks to the third person, and he asks him, what are you doing? And he looks up, and he said, with a joy on his face said sir I am building a cathedral you see what do you think you're doing when you're working can you look through like this man the instant work you're doing to see the great thing and here's the great thing the great thing is the kingdom of God and you say through my work through a sewer tank? Yes. That's how important it is to God. Did you know when you are at work, you are contributing to his vision on the earth, the flourishing of humanity on the earth, and, then, and as the humanity fills the earth and covers it, they radiate the glory of God on the earth. God has a plan and a vision for a certain thing to be done on the earth, and it's called his kingdom. It's called his glory among humanity. And you're contributing to that. And you've been saved by Christ. You've been renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you've been empowered to serve him. And when you work with the right motives, with the right perspectives, and thinking about it the right way, and honoring Christ with everything that you do, guess what? You are representing him. You are a witness of Christ, first probably and foremost in our culture, by the quality of the work that you do. You represent Christ. One of the greatest ways you witness of Christ and bring him honor and glory is how you approach the work that you do. Let it be said of us, church, those Christians, man, they do good work. That's a reputation we should have. And let it not be said to our honor, but for him who hung on the cross to give us life. Let us work in whatever we do for the kingdom of God. Let us work for the King of Kings with hearts full of joy, honesty, excellence, working for the good of others, the good of our boss, the good of our company. And as we see our company thrive, it creates more jobs for others to come along. Creating value for humanity. Let our work be a faithful witness to the goodness and grace of our Lord. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, as we just sit here in this moment, um, it's a very practical uh, text to us who have received your grace. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Lord, help us to seek your kingdom, to be a worker of your kingdom in whatever we do. Give us that great vision that we are working toward. Lord, would you be our master in every bit of it? Lord, will you show us our reward? Fill our hearts with that day that we receive it. And Lord, make us faithful. And Lord, in our lives and through our work, may others see you and may you get the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me all across the room? Let's just do some business with the Lord as the Spirit's leading your heart. Uh, let's just do business. We'll sing this song, spend, spend some time in prayer. Ask him where would he have you to go, what would he have you to do? It's a great question to ask.